It's hard to get why an anthropology class is important to a doctor, but that's why these classes are important. This is where you can lose your, your shit, you know? This is where you can ask the dumb questions. This is where you can get mad and upset and like, do that with me, you know? Like, let's do that together. You can't do that with your patient. I'm sorry, you, you just can't. You're listening to This Mama is Lit, the podcast where we explore the multi-sided questions of motherhood. Every other week, we'll be bringing you a new unfiltered chat with another mama writer. We're talking today to Dr. Elizabeth Farfan Santos. She is a medical anthropologist, mother of two, and the author of two nonfiction books, Black Bodies, Black Rights, and most recently, Undocumented Motherhood, Conversations on Love, Trauma, and Border Crossing, which won the 2022 Nonfiction Discovery Prize from the Writers League of Texas. Undocumented Motherhood includes reflections on Elizabeth's own border crossing childhood, as well as in-depth conversations between Elizabeth and a woman she calls Claudia, who journeyed across the U.S. border from Mexico in order to secure essential health care for her young daughter, Nati. In this episode, we talked about her inspiration for her book, Undocumented Motherhood, and her desire to write in a way that expands boundaries. We also talk about her work teaching doctors to be more curious, caring, and self-aware. And we hear about her own experiences as a Mexican-American woman seeking reproductive care within an oppressive medical system. So the first question is, uh, if you would describe yourself as a mother in five words or less. Um, I think that I'm empathetic. I think that I am um, imperfect. <laughs> I am an advocate for sure. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm resilient. <laughs> so I keep coming back, you know. So. And can you tell us about a moment of resiliency, like a moment when you did feel like it was going not well and you bounced back? I mean, I would say this year has been has been that um, I feel like I've had I mean, I, I feel like I've had really difficult chapters in my children's lives. You know, I'm saying I say that in conversation with you, but I think that most mostly I don't feel resilient. You know, I think. I remember that I'm resilient because, or that I'm being resilient right now because there, our family has experienced a lot of difficulties, you know, um, job transitions, illness. Um, I've been um, going through some pretty serious uh, illness stuff myself. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, you know, it's um, I'm I'm in the process of figuring out what it is, and so it's it's still it's still very much you know. Um, I'm still in the middle of it, but um, I recently had to have a mammogram and there were concerns on my mammogram. So I had to do a biopsy and then I've been having, you know, issues with my uterine health and that, that stuff kind of runs in the family. I wrote, actually wrote about it um, in my book. Um, and, and I'm kind of, it's, it's kind of weird because I wrote in the book about my mom around, around this age, around 35, 37, um, had to have a hysterectomy because she had um, an inflamed uterus, um, or that's what she, you know, remembered it being called, and um, um, bleeding a lot and getting deadly anemia at that time. 
and kind of, you know, bleeding and, you know, these kind of hysterectomies kind of running in my family. Um, and so, you know, I'm experiencing something very similar. Um, and so, you know, I had been um, all of a sudden started bleeding for like two months straight um, and you know, trying to figure out what it was and having, you know, ultrasounds and biopsies and dealing with really insensitive doctors that, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to study something and, and um, know the kind of medical violence that exists out there especially for women, the way women's, I write up in the book about how women's pain is constantly dismissed. Um, and I know this stuff, you know, I, I've not only do I know it academically, I, I've, I've heard testimonies about, you know, every, some from my students to my family members being dismissed by physicians. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I know I've experienced it myself, but I'm experiencing it now in a way that is so violent and so aggressively direct that I'm like, oh my God, wow. You know, and, um, you know, part of me is like, the you know, the the kind of the human raw part of, part of me is like, oh my God, this is so painful, you know, like to not be believed and, and, and these kinds of things. And then the intellectual in me is like, this is a great teaching opportunity for me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was. Well, um, in so, ways, that's probably protective, right? To be able to take a step back and look at this painful experience from that intellectual perspective. Oh, yeah, that's definitely my go to. <laughs> Intellectualizing my emotions is my jam. Right. <laughs> that's what all of them. <laughs> I'm um, really okay. good at that. In the book, you do such a nice job of taking us to these moments of tension between like the individual and the institution, and then kind of unpacking layers of race and class and nationalism within that moment of tension. If you could take us inside your head and into your life for a moment in one of those moments when you were receiving health care. So, and it was just recent, you know, this was a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, so I, you know, had this, I had an appointment, they did an ultrasound to see, you know, why I was bleeding, what was going on in my, in there and uh, discovered that you had a really you know, in, in unusually large uterine lining, right? Thick uterine lining. Um, and it, they, it was really concerned. It was like double, more than double the size that it needed to be. I'd always had, um, clear, um, pap smears. I'd always had everything that had always been, always been normal in my physicals. And so, um, you know, I, I went to the doctor and I said, I think this is, this is why it started, you know, this is what's happening and, and really trying to have a conversation with him about, you know, why hormones were so problematic for me. And I had talked to women in my family who were like, why would you even take hormones? Like hormones are not good for us. Like this, like they affect us very strongly. You should have asked us. And so I was, you know, I was trying to tell him some of this and he just wasn't really interested. He's like, okay, okay, let me just look at the tests. And so he's looking at the, he's looking at the biopsy or he's looking at the, the um, ultrasound. He's not interested in my family history. And I'm telling him, trying to tell him about my grandmother, because I share a lot of similarities with her. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe it's genetic, you know, let's just see. And so, you know, he's telling me all of these things and we're not really going into the treatments, the possible treatments because he hasn't seen, he, we hasn't done the biopsy yet. And he says, we need a biopsy because this is, we need to make sure we roll out cancer. You know, this is really concerning. And, um, you know, he's like, you don't want to take, you don't want to do, to do hormones that the best thing would be to go back on birth control 
and I think this is what they always tell women that have any kind of, you know, menstrual issues. It's like birth control, right? That's it. But for him, it was like, or you could do a hysterectomy, you know, like, and hysterectomies are great. We don't take out your ovaries. Like it's super easy to deal with it. You know, it was like the, the way that he, you know, so I'm thinking back at my mom and I'm like, yeah, they really are gung ho about these things. And, um, and he's like, or you could do a, your, uh, endometrial, uh, ablation, which is the removal of the endometrial lining. And so, you know, we, he's like, but let's do the biopsy and see. And so, um, you know, the, the biopsy was really, you know, he kept saying, oh, it's going to be fine. You know, it's like super easy. You know, it's going to feel like having the IUD put in, did not having the IUD put in and removed is very painful. I think doctors still don't believe that for some reason, getting a biopsy is much more painful than that. So the biopsy came back and it was normal. Thank God everything was normal, but then communication completely stops from the physician, right? And this is, it's normal. I send them a message in my chart. I'm really happy. This is normal, but what's the next step? I need, I need to stop the bleeding. It's on two months now. I mean, I'm I'm feeling it's hemorrhaging basically every day. No, not to mention anemia is really dangerous, you know, and I'm anemic at this point. And so it's, it's something that I need to take care of. And so, you know, he's not responding. He's not responding. I, I call and I'm like, you know, I need, I need to talk to someone about the next option about, you know, doing, I had decided I was going to do at that time, the, the ablation, because I didn't want to do hormones. Um, and I said, you know, I just want to talk to someone about the, the, um, the side effects of the hormones and whether, since we know it's benign, if that's a okay process to go hormones, you know, didn't get a call box. The nurse says, I'll ask the doctor, you know, we'll see, you know, two days go by nothing. You know, I, I got really desperate because I was starting to get really scared with the bleeding. And so I just sent a message and I said, please just send me anything to stop the bleeding, you know, just send it to my pharmacy. I, I don't, at this point, send whatever hormones you need to send. I just need this to stop. Um, and I still hadn't heard from him. And so then he just sends the, the prescription to the pharmacy, which is, it's a really strong dose of progesterone that they give for these, for uterine conditions, basically. Because one of the things that the biopsy showed was basically I wasn't producing, I'm just producing estrogen, which is what's causing the lining to keep building up nonstop. So I'll, obviously I have hormonal imbalance. Um, but at this point, nobody has talked to me about my hormone health at all. So there's like no conversation about it. The conversation is like, let's just remove the organ <laughs> so that we can fix the problem and, or so that we can like fix the, the symptoms. Right. But the, the core problem doesn't get fixed. So, um, he sent this, this, uh, prescription, the pharmacist wouldn't give it to me because it was a really, it was a stronger dose than they were used to prescribing. And they were worried. And they wanted to get um, certainty from the doctor that that's exactly what he meant. The doctor never responded to them. The doctor told the nurse to tell them, that's how I wrote it, give it to her. And so, um, you know, I said a prayer and I took the first, but the doctor actually called the next day and, um, you know, it's like, they told me to tell you the process. So this is the process, you know, you're going to take the hormones, the bleeding should stop in the next couple of days. It's going to take some time, you know. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, the, what some of the side effects might be, you know, the pharmacist was saying, you know, that, that this was a really strong dose. And he's like, listen, Ms. Farfin Santos, I, if, if, if you need, they told me to call you to tell you the process. I told you the process. And now if you need to know more, you need to make an appointment because you're wasting my time. You're wasting other patients time. And this isn't right. 
You don't want to do anything. You don't want to take the hormones. You don't want to get a hysterectomy. You don't want to do the ablation. You don't want to, you don't want any treatment. So I don't know what you want me to do. Yelling, going off, not even letting me talk. I was like, wow. I mean, I was in shock. I was speechless for once in my life. And um, when he was done talking, I said, I've never refused treatment. You know, I'm, I'm taking the hormones now and I've just want to know what the side effects are. Starts yelling at me again and says, listen, everything has side effects. Even breathing has side effects. Take them if you want to. Don't take them if you don't want to. I really don't care at this point. Do whatever you want. Oh, my God. And I just kind of rose my voice a little bit. And I was like, well, you don't have to worry about that anymore because I am no longer your patient and just hung up on him because he wouldn't stop. He would not stop. He wouldn't let me get a word in. Um, you know, I, 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 I hung up the phone and I just kind of broke down. Like I said, it, 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 it was very recent. So, you know, I, I immediately went into, you know, fight mode and, you know, I, I wrote the entire thing down and I was going to send, I was going to CC all these people, you know, and I stopped and I said, you know what, I'm really good at this. I, I know I can <laughs> go take this fight on. Um, but right now I'm really sick and I just need, I need my treatment you know, um, which is, it's a really strong dose of progesterone that they give for these, for uterine conditions, basically, is one of the things that the biopsy showed was basically, I wasn't producing, I'm just producing estrogen, which is what's causing the lining to keep building up nonstop. So obviously, I have hormonal imbalance. Um, But at this point, nobody has talked to me about my hormone health at all. So there's like no conversation about it. The conversation is like, let's just remove the organ so that we can like fix the, the symptoms, right? But the, the core problem doesn't get fixed. One thing I teach my students and, you know, that we try that we talk about is the, um, the what is at stake for the patient, right? Um, in illness and in treatment and understanding the moral meaning of suffering for their patients. And that this, that this is not going to be the same as potentially what they believe should be, right? Um, and, you know, as physicians, they want, they want an immediate fix, like they're fixing a machine. Um, but illness has so much more meaning in the life of a patient, as does health. And sometimes, and all of the relationships and responsibilities and connect and ties and, you know, all of these everything that makes up the patient's life world is also important and part of that illness and impacted by it. So sometimes, you know, you can have the clearest treatment, but what the patient might lose with that treatment is not worth it for them, right? It is, you know, they would, they would rather stay where they are than, than to deal with that treatment because it, it means that they would not be able to function in some of the critical ways that are basically life giving for them. I mean, there's life has no meaning without those things, right? If your goal is really to heal your patient, right? To reduce suffering, I tell my students, you are reducing suffering. That is your goal is to reduce or eliminate suffering if possible, as it relates to this illness, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to keep coming back to that. So maybe, you know, what your patient believes you don't agree with, but that's not about you. You know, it's, it's, it's about, and I, and actually had a class two days after this happened. So it was really, you know, I was able to share this example with them and was able to kind of say, you know, you can push whatever you want. You can act out however you want, but if you don't check yourself, 
you if you if you don't go back to what is my purpose as a physician, you're gonna lose your patient. If you lose your patient, you failed. If you're causing more harm, you failed. Even if you have a situation where in, in the case of this doctor, I said, he's probably overwhelmed and overworked. Most physicians are. I'll give him that. You know, I really believe that. He shouldn't have called me. He should have had his nurse call me. He should have had, he should have transferred me to another physician. He should have said, you know what? I don't, I, I can't deal with this patient. I didn't even have to, but I didn't have to be privy to any of those conversations, right? He could have removed himself. If, if, if you find that you are so morally and or emotionally at odds with your patient that you can't do your job, then you ask for help or you remove yourself. Do you feel like in your classes that you see them make that perspective shift? I do think that I saw some light bulbs, you know, in that moment, because I don't think they had thought about it that way. And that becomes the way of thinking. And, and they have such a hard time then, regardless of how they come in as complex human beings, once they learn that training, they become these tools of science, you know, themselves, these machines of science, and that's, and they enact that, you know, and so I try to get them to understand, you know, as complex as you are right now, we're talking a lot about identity, their identities, racial, gender, uh, because the College of Medicine at the University of Houston has a very diverse class of physicians. So these are big conversations. Um, but I say, you know, all of those things are important all also, but also you're, you're learning this uh, way of seeing the world that is also in a cultural framework in itself that is that is what you're going to be functioning through and you have to be very aware and so my classes are always about self-awareness you know it it's interesting because you get the anthropologist and you think it's going to be about learning all of the cultural differences you know and it and it and they kind of get a shocker when it's about no actually we're gonna we're gonna do some of the inner work <laughs> we're gonna do some self-work but then that making you a good, a better physician. If you take everything personal and you're all just ready to attack and you're and you're ready, because this is what we see in medicine. Physicians deny patient um, understanding of our bodies, any kind of information that we dare to bring in, even if it's from a book. You know, everything gets dismissed, you know, and um, you know, we get treated like children. And that happens, that happens across the board, but more so if you're a patient of color and God, you know, especially if you're a woman of color, right? Because they were like, wow, even even you with all of your education and all of your titles and all of that, even you were treated this way. And I said, Well, you know, the doctor doesn't know any of that. You know, he doesn't know that I have a PhD, that I that I teach doctors for a living. He doesn't know my income, you know, he doesn't know anything. He just sees what he sees, right? He saw a young brown woman come into his office. He knows I'm Latina because it's on my record, right? Hispanic, whatever it says on there, you know, and whatever ideas he has about that group of people, it's it's already in function, right? It's already working, even when even though he's not thinking about it, right? He's just he's just acting out that way. But you know, it's it's very dismissive, right? And so uh, you know, when I tried to present my understanding of my own body and what I thought was going on, there was no conversation, you know, it was completely shut down. Um, and, you know, so I think that for the students, it's, it's, it was interesting to hear, okay, you know, we can, we can take a step back, like, that's, that's okay, I didn't know that I could do that. 
you know, it's hard to get why an anthropology class is important to a doctor, but that's why these classes are important. This is where you can lose your, your shit. You know, this is where you can ask the dumb questions. This is where you can get mad and upset and like, do that with me. You know, like, let's do that together. You can't do that with your patient. I'm sorry. You, you just can't, you know? And when I'm teaching undergrads, it's different because we talk so much about identity formation and how all of these different in, interactions in their lives come together. And mostly the work that I do with them was about not separating out our lives, really, and finding balance and integration, right? Mm -hmm. But with physicians, there really is a line, you know, and unfortunately, that's the, that's the profession, you know, where there's, when they're in the clinic, when they're with the patient, it's about the patient, you know, and they have to be able to, to really um, step outside of themselves. I think it's interesting. You're talking about these interactions that you're having with in the medical field and then how you teach and you're a medical anthropologist and sort of how did that lead into you doing research for this book with a woman whose daughter was attending the, the same school as your child and sort of how did that, how did you initiate work on this book after that? Yeah, actually, you know, it, it it really is super connected. I've always been really passionate about um, how our about our experiences within the healthcare system, um, and mostly because I grew up watching people have really complicated and um, difficult and challenging uh, experiences with the healthcare system, particularly my grandmother. Um, and, you know, it wasn't something that my mother talked a lot about, and it wasn't something that um, even we did a lot. And so it was just kind of for the basics. But I grew up seeing my grandmother struggle a lot, um, particularly kind of emotionally. So she comes up in the book, um, because as I'm talking to Claudia, I'm, you know, those motivations were already there in wanting to do research on health access. Um, but as I'm talking to Claudia, the specifics of why those motivations start to come out, right? Some of the that in, that embedded generational trauma and socialization and learning and things that I witnessed that maybe I wasn't awake to back then because I was a kid. You know, all of those things start coming out as I'm listening to the interviews. Um, and you know, I I grew up with a father who's undocumented and with family members that were undocumented and had a really hard time um, just navigating the world as undocumented or, you know, as, and then eventually they, they did get um, residency, um, but had such a difficult time navigating the world, you know, through their different statuses. And um, so working with immigrants and undocumented immigrants to me, um, and these being kind of the, some of the most marginalized um, folks in our community communities um, was especially important for me because these are the people that always get scapegoated, always get left out. You know, there are all of these problems with the healthcare system, but then somehow, you know, the people that get blamed are the most vulnerable, some of the most vulnerable. Um, and, you know, when you look at undocumented communities, you know, you see all of these challenges to their access and so many of those challenges are um, obviously they're 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 heightened because of their undocumented status, but they're not very different from what uninsured people, uh, uh, especially working poor, experience in the United States in general, right? Um, it's so 
life determining whether or not you have health insurance. And that's one of the things, even as I go through this process myself, I keep reminding myself, I'm grateful that I have health insurance um, because it's, you know, to, to have to do all of this without health insurance, I can't even imagine um, the way that this physician spoke to me. I can't imagine, I can't imagine the way he speaks to patients that are uninsured, um, that are indigent, that are marginal, that are, don't speak English, um, you know, and I, I can, I, I can imagine how he speaks to them if that's how he speaks to me. Even just, even not knowing my profile, but even just the fact that I'm a fluent, you know, native English speaker, you know, um, so you know, all of those things um, uh, definitely were, drove the, the work um, that I've been doing for years. And then meeting Claudia was so great because she was just, you know, so full of life and just like such a complex, I mean, we're all complex, but she was such a great, you know, interviewee and, you know, willing to share so much of her life with me. And um, we had little kids in, you know, in the same school. And so we had some things in common. Um, and yeah, I think it, it made for a really, a really great subject for a vulnerable book, which is what I really wanted. You know, I wanted a book that was deeply vulnerable and intimate and not, you know, not cold and exploitative, which is what I, this, which is how I see most research and writing on undocumented immigrants, incredibly exploitative, especially when it comes to women and children. Um, and it's, it's, it's all about kind of, it's just pulling out all the suffering you know, so much suffering and there's there's representation of suffering in the book because that's part of th this experience but there's also so much more and it's intentional right it's it's purposeful so to tell the story of suffering and the hardship in order to get to understanding resilience and you know the future and um and survival and some of these other you know uh, uh, important aspects of Claudia's identity and of essentially of immigrant and you know Mexican femininity as well and so it builds up to that rather than just kind of keeping you in this like victim narrative you know um, which isn't helpful in terms of how society then reproduces an image of Mexican women or immigrant women and especially undocumented women yeah um, I'm thinking about you know what what you were what we were talking about a few minutes ago where it's sort of like the doctor has a narrative that they are that, that is part of their cultural framework right and if you are advocating you're trying to rhetorically disrupt that but you are also the one who is suffering and in pain right. so that sort it it feels so heavy to think that the patient is the one who has all of that burden not only are they suffering but they're also trying to explain something that is outside of that doctor's like working narrative. Normally, I think as medical anthropologists, we 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 always um, I think we always come in in as the the advocate for you know the community, and so uh, that was that was my goal. The goal was to really you know connect to people at the human level, and so. Um, I had to have conversations with the editor about, you know, where, how we would promote the book and, you know, how the book would be sold and, you know, kind of, yeah, promoted and with that in mind. And so, but, you know, like I said, I, I, I wrote it thinking, oh, academics are going to hate it, you know, and, and I think people are really engaging it. Academics are engaging it. And I think 
um, because we're ready, I think, for these kinds of um, a different way of looking at the world, I think, and permission to write and produce material, whether it's art or writing in ways that are that are more complex, like our humanity. I think that as a society, I think we 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 crave more of that. I, I've been thinking so much about Claudia and, you know, her experience um, as I've been dealing with so many health issues this past year. And so I've been so much more awake to to her um, and, you know, yeah, thinking like I what it, what she would how, how this experience might be for her. And in the book, she tells me that, you know, she's also she's dealing with fibroids. She's dealing with fibromyalgia. You know, the doctor's telling her to just exercise more. She's complaining about the debilitating pain of fibromyalgia. And all she has is exercise. Like that's all she keeps getting, you know. And yet, you know, Claudia is still, she's she's still going. She's still fighting for her daughter. And so one of the things I thought about, I've been thinking about is what would it look like if we advocated for ourselves as women, the way we advocate for our children? You know, it's it's, it's like, well, if, if Claudia, with all of the things that she's dealing with and she can keep fighting, then I can keep fighting too, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to you for meeting with us again and giving us your time and then sharing like so openly and um, generously of your experience. Thank you all so much for supporting my work. I I love talking with y'all. So I, I appreciate it very much. 